many of you were here in the area or even alive? Some of you are pretty young, so I know you weren't. But how many were around in May 18th, 1980? The Mount St. Helens Day, right? Mount St. Helens Day. And, you know, scientists had told us that the mountain was showing signs of an eruption. Scientists had said, clear the mountain. Get off the mountain. It's unstable. It's going to blow. Remember that? For weeks. For weeks. And so there was a few individuals, one noted one, his name was interesting, Harry Truman. And he lived at the lake up there, Clear Lake. And he um, basically said, I'm not moving. I don't care what the scientists say. I'm staying put. And a bunch of others. I, I don't remember the, so, the whole tally of, of loss. But uh, there was a time of readiness. And I'm thinking today that that's probably a lot like the passage of Scripture we're going to read today. But it's not the day of Mount St. Helens. It's called the day of the Lord. It's the day of the Lord. And just like Mount St. Helens, there's a lot of signs and, you know, illustrations of we're headed toward this and a lot of declarations, not by scientists, but by Jesus, that this is going to be a reality. Be ye ready. That's what our text and topic is today. The flourishing that we're supposed to do in readiness for the day of the Lord, for the second coming of Christ, for the time when time shall be no more, and all of history will culminate, not in a mountain blowing its top, but in the Lord's return. Let's take a minute and uh, read the passage, and then we'll tear it apart. Does that sound good? Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that that day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night nor the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. For those who are asleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. Can we pray for a moment? Father, thank you for this extremely encouraging passage of Scripture Thank you for the picture we get, the hope that we can have in Jesus. 
Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts today, open our minds today, help us to drink this scripture in and to be ready. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we talk about flourishing through readiness, take these notes if you would. There's a number of things that pop out to me from the passage about our readiness, about the day of the Lord. It's uh, going to be sudden. I mean, did you get that picture? <laughs> it's going to be sudden. Instantaneous. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and the dates, we don't need to write to you. You know, Jesus said, no man knows the time or the day, not even the Son of Man. So if somebody starts to give you times and dates, <laughs> what can you do? Ignore them. You know, it's happened through history. In the early second century, there were these um, folks, they were called uh, monastics. And they predicted dates and thought about times. Because Jesus talked about his second coming as ready and urgent, as available instantly. Um, when the first century turned over, when the first uh, at the year 1000, a lot of people on January 1st, 1000, prepared themselves like this is the end. It's been a thousand years since she's left. The end is here. You um, probably heard about a, a Pope, Innocent III. He added 666 to the first day of the, when Islam was established. And he believed that was 1284. And so he said, Jesus is coming back in 1284. Got everybody ready. We all know that didn't happen. In 1834, a guy named William Miller. I mentioned this, I think, one other time. The Millerites, they became the Seventh-day Adventists. It's the group that started out for that. He said, in this date, 1843, Jesus is going to come back. So they didn't plant their crops. They didn't do any of their harvesting that year. They said, we're going to go on, the, on our barns, on our mountains, and get ready because the Lord's coming back. Well, he didn't, so Mr. Miller revised his time. You've heard of that. And uh, said it was not going to be March 22nd, 1843. It's going to be October 22nd, 1844. So they weren't once burned, twice shy. <laughs> they did the exact same thing. And that was called the Great Disappointment. Hundreds and thousands of farmers across the Midwest and even here in the West had prepared for this by not preparing. So they were headed into a, a, a winter season with zero preparation, zero seed for the next year, and it was a disaster. Lots of other people in the area had to come to their rescue because they had predicted a date that did not happen. Now, the Jehovah Witnesses have done the same thing. They have had six, eight different dates that they have predicted in a variety of different ways. If you read how they do it, it's very complicated formula. You know? Sounds like a lot of, a lot of work. Um, I remember Hal Lindsey. You guys remember Hal Lindsey? So this is back in the 80s. In fact, here is the book. 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. 
You know, a few years later, he wrote one, 99 reasons why Jesus will return in 1999. The book sold less every time, but uh, <laughs> yeah. What is it about the Lord's second coming that makes people want to know the date, know the time? How many of you lived through Y2K? All right, so that was like similar kind of thing. All the computers are going to go berserk and we're going to be... It's going to be the end of the earth, end of the days, right? It's kind of interesting to live through, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, and then there was that comet. Was it the Haley-Bopp comet or something? And it was going to be ushering in the... uh, Anyway. Now the scientists say in the year 4 trillion... 500 billion A.D., the sun is going to expand and take over the entire universe, and the earth will be obliterated. It's good we got a few years to work on. Five billion, or no, 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 four trillion, 500 billion. A quote from John MacArthur, I like this. It says, being spiritually prepared for the return of Christ does not involve date setting, clock watching, or sign seeking. God has chosen not to reveal the specific time of the end or the end time events so that all believers will live in constant anticipation of the end. I'd say constant anticipation of him, of his return. So that's the encouragement is that it will be suddenly... It will be suddenly. Now, it says about the times and the dates we do not need to write to you. Why would we not need to be written to? Because of what Jesus said. You're not going to know the times or the sea. You're not going to know the dates. You know, we're always ongoingly to be ready at any minute. Remember, Jesus is the one who kind of messed with our thoughts about time. He'd say things like this. A time is coming, and now is. You kind of go, wait a minute. So is the time coming, or is it here now? He said to the woman in John 4, he says, the time is coming, and now is, when men won't worship God on a mountain, or that mountain. He says, they'll worship him in spirit and in truth. So is the time coming, or is the time here? You know what Jesus' answer was? Yes. It's a big, huge now. Jesus is the one who said, let's deal with soon. The soon coming king. What's soon? Well, Jesus said, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day to the Lord. So why do we get so fixed? Jesus has only been gone two days or two hours. You know? We, we, we focus our attention on our time and space connection. And that's the only thing we can think and We can't even comprehend outside of that realm. So it's, it's, it's a human element. But at the same time, think outside from the standpoint of God is not bound by our time, by our space. Aren't you glad that our Heavenly Father is like we sang about him this morning? Great are you, Lord. You're so different from who we are and what we're about. Thank you, God, for not being like us. All right? He says the times and the, and the dates, the word times there is the same root word we get chronology from. It's chronos. 
time, not Kairos time, but Kronos time, the time on the calendar, and the seasons here, the dates, we sometimes get translated as epics. And some people want to go, well, don't you feel like time is just coming to a close? <laughs> like the mountain that was expanding before it blew? Don't you feel like there's seasons that we can predict? Yes, probably, but realize all people all time have done the same thing. That should tell us that all the attempts to predict are going to be left in ways. It's going to be suddenly like a thief in the night. Jesus said, if you know a thief is coming, you prepare, and you're, you're, it thwarts the effort of the, but nobody knows when the thief is coming. You know, there were some years where we had three different car prowls where people busted into our cars, broke the windows, or busted open the doors, and so you feel violated. You feel, you go, well, if I'd known they were coming, I would have parked at Mark's house <laughs> or something, Right? But you don't know. That's why it is suddenly. Now, notice it's the word like. Like a thief. This is a simile. Not a metaphor, but a simile. Because it's like it. There's there's places where it breaks down. Because Jesus is obviously not a thief coming to steal. No. But he is. the, the, The part that's the same is the suddenness. The suddenness of it. Let's take a second one. Successfully. Successfully. Because you know what this is called. (laughs) The day of the Lord. It's his day. Uh, Up till now, the evil one has been present. The evil one has been called the prince of this world. The evil one has been unleashed on the world. But there's a day coming when he will finally get his final judgment. When what he is owed will be paid to him. And Jesus, the day of the Lord will be successful. He'll come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. He will not escape. The Lord is coming to make all things new. The Lord is coming like Revelation 21. There will be no more sorrow, no more crying. All the things that are, are, are harmful to us now will be gone. Instead, the day of the Lord will usher in a brand new, he says, existence. I, behold, I make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth, new bodies. I mean, everything that we struggle with today will be gone. Think about it. It's a day of success for the Lord Jesus. And it's a success for all of those that long for his appearing, the Bible says. Long for his appearing. Oh, Lord, come quickly, Jesus. Maranatha. Come and, and take us to be with you. Our, our hearts yearn for the kind of relationship that we're going to have. It says, no longer will there be a barrier between us and God. It says, we're going to be known completely, and we're going to know him entirely. Wow. Now, that's success. <laughs> notice these, uh, notice what it says. Let's see, I need to go to the... But we know the day of the Lord will come. What makes the day of the Lord come? The Lord. It's his return. Just his coming to the planet like he's planning to will be be different. 
in the um, third verse, it says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them. The Apostle Paul makes quite a distinction here between they and them, unbelievers, those who don't love Jesus, those who've not chosen to follow him, and we and us, those who are children of the light, those that know him. And for those of us who are, are, are followers of Christ, it will be successful. Let's take one more. It's a lot like suddenly, but it's surprisingly. Jot that down. It's different than sudden in that they're saying peace and safety. People are saying peace and safety. It's, it's everything's okay. Everything's all right. We had that a year ago or so. The world's not on fire. Cities aren't burning down. It's just mostly peaceful protests. <laughs> Do we get a little of that, huh? Peace and safety. Nothing's wrong. And while people are saying that, the signs would lead the opposite. Destruction will come on them suddenly. That same word I used earlier. As labor pains. It's the same a thief in the night and labor pains on a pregnant woman, they're both illustrations of the same thing. You know it's coming, you just don't know when. A pregnant woman, you know the baby's going to come, right? You just don't know when. So when those Braxton Hicks hit, you're, you're getting ready. But how do you know when it's a Braxton Hicks or the real thing? Time will tell, right? <laughs> How many of you went through that? How many dads went through that? <laughs> With your brides. You know. People will be surprised. People will have no idea that this is the day, or this is the time, or they are unprepared. But on that day, <laughs> there's not going to be any atheists. Atheism will disappear in a moment. People who are resistant and reluctant and distant from God will say, oh my. They won't say, amen. They'll say, oh man. Had I only known. And that's why we as believers need to keep on our mission to say we need to make sure they know. We need to talk constantly about the second coming of Christ. It needs to be eager on our minds. Even that phrase that we used to use, if the Lord tarries, we'll do this and that. If the Lord waits, we'll do this and that. What if we started using that again so that everything we frame, every idea we have about time and, and, and occupation of this world has to do with the second coming of Christ. If the Lord tarries, tomorrow I'm going to go play pickleball. If the Lord tarries, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. What if we thought and spoke like the second coming was not a surprise to us? We're not saying peace. We're not saying safety. We're saying the Lord was coming to take us home. See, people are not ready. They're not expecting it. And so it leads to to challenge mentioned earlier this uh, phrase here, people, the them and the they. And what's it talking about there? Unbelievers. People who are not, in fact, let's go to the next one. 
there is a sense in which the second coming will be sorrowful. Why? Because people have not prepared, because people are not ready, and because people are choosing to be away from God. In 2 Peter, he says, people were going, hey, it's been a long time since the Lord said it was going to be any time. When is the time of his coming? Are you sure he's coming back again? Peter hastens to remind them. He says that the day is coming. In a way, nothing has changed since that time. But he says, the Lord is not slow about his promises. What's his promise? That he's coming back. He says, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. He said, why has the Lord taken so long? One reason, so that more people could be swept into his kingdom. More people could be brought to Christ. More people could love Jesus like we love Jesus. That's the only reason, he says, that he's being patient with us. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing any would perish, but everyone would come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3. Oh, that we would stay on mission, because that would take the sorrowful down. Take the sorrowful and lessen it. Those pronouns. Notice this one. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Notice, you are all children of light. See the difference between them and they, and we, you, and us? What do we want to do? We want to bring all the them and theys into the you and us. Children of the light. Love people to Jesus, the Lord. Exactly. Jesus told a parable about bridesmaids. They were waiting at the gate. They were to have their lamps trimmed and ready to go. They kind of lost focus, kind of sloughed off. We don't know if it's because they didn't think the groom meant what he said when he said, I'm coming back. But when he came back, they weren't ready. The gates got shut and they got left behind because they had to go get some oil. It's like, don't be like that. Be ready and eager and ready to celebrate the groom. Five were waiting and ready, and five lost their focus, right? Let's take one more here. I call this sublimely. This is a lot more like successfully, but this is going to be a celebration, folks. Brothers and sisters, you are not in darkness so that the day should surprise you. You, like a thief, you are all children of the light, and children of the day. Now, this has happened before. The day of the Lord kind of was previewed for us, according to Jesus. Jesus said, it'll be a lot like the days of Noah. The days of Noah is a little bit of a preview of what is going to happen in the day of the Lord. The days of Noah... God repented of even making man because all he saw everywhere was evil, wickedness. 
And he repented of even making man. But he found one righteous man and his family, eight people in total. And when he sealed up the ark and made them safe, and the rains started, in a way, it was a day of judgment and wrath. He was dispelling, he was destroying wickedness and evil, at least in part. And Jesus says, that's like a preview of the day of the Lord. A lot like Moses, I mean, a lot like Noah, the day of the Lord is going to catch people unaware. Because what was happening to the people at the time the rain started? They were laughing at Noah. (laughs) He's building a boat. There'd never been a flood before. There'd never even been rain before. And he's saying it's going to rain so much that my, this big boat is going to float in the middle of a land. (laughs) Yeah, right. Peace and safety. Everything's fine. And Jesus points to that and says, don't be one of Noah's Um, those that made fun of him. Instead, jump on the team. Be in the boat. Be part of those who are we and you. We don't belong to the darkness. We belong to the light. Let's bring everyone into the light. It is going to be a sublime, joyful time for those of us who are in Christ, but it will be a sorrowful time for those who are not. The second incident that Jesus points to is Lot. Lot. Lot knew there was going to be this hellfire and damnation, and there was. And a few escaped. And that's how he points to it for us. He says, the day of the Lord is going to be a lot like Lot in Lot's day. People were planting, people were building, people were doing their everyday activities, and destruction came on them suddenly. And the Son of God was revealed, the Bible says. So those are the aspects of the day of the Lord. It will be sudden. it's, It's going to be surprising. It's going to be sorrowful. It's going to be sublime. Those are the attributes of the second coming of Christ. But let's talk now. Turn the corner like the apostle does. What does that mean? So therefore, then, how should we live? What difference does it make to you and I on an everyday basis? Here's some thoughts. Here's some things. Three encouragements on how to flourish with readiness. Okay? How do you and I have a flourishing relationship with God and be ready? The first one is to be spiritually Awake. You'll notice all of this language has to do with falling asleep. So the suddenness of the second coming of Christ should not surprise the children of God. The children of God, you and I, brothers and sisters, should be so eager and excited and ready that it doesn't surprise us. Instead, we anticipate with eagerness. The Bible says you look forward to the coming of Christ. We flourish because we are spiritually awake. We're affirming who we are. We are people that are in the light. 
And he contrasts those who are asleep and those who are awake. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake, circle that, and sober. We'll get to sober in a minute. Now Jesus teaches this same kind of concept in Matthew 24. He's talking about end times there as well. He says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like social media to me. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Does that sound familiar? False prophets. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. What? Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That's a hard one to hear, isn't it? But the one who stands firm, the one who stands firm, he says, to the end will be saved. (laughs) He's encouraging us, brothers and sisters, to stay spiritually awake and to stand firm. Like he said in Ephesians chapter 6 about the army, he says, once you put the armor on to stand, then stand. That's your point. That's what you're doing it for, is to be firm in who you are and how much God loves. Don't let anyone wash that down the tubes for you. Don't let anyone dilute that. Don't fall asleep, but be awake. Be awakened spiritually. Oh, the church needs to wake up. You know, someone said, we trained everybody for a year to go to church in their pajamas. Watch it. You know, watch it on TV from their, in their pajamas. And now we've got to say to the church, it's time to wake up. I don't care what you're wearing. I don't care if you're online or in person. It's time to get on board and wake up. That's what the Lord is saying to the church. Don't be asleep in the light. Wake up. Notice what he's encouraging us to do. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, what's it say? And then the end will come. This has led many of us to believe that we get to take a part. We get to play a part in the mission of the church actually hastens the coming of Christ. What's he saying? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world, to the whole world. Oh, God wants you and I to be a part of that preaching. There are people that you know. There are people in your neighborhood. There are people at your workplace. There are people in your family that are never going to hear about the love of Jesus unless they hear it through you. What if God was calling you? And what if he was waiting for one of your relatives before the end of the age, before the end comes, he wants you to proclaim as a testimony to that person the love of Christ. Be awake. Jot this down. Avoid being spiritually apathetic. Apathetic. Like the kid who said, uh, do you understand? Is it ignorance or apathy? He said, I don't know and I don't care. Yeah. What's a bigger problem? Ignorance or apathy? Yeah. Don't be spiritually apathetic. Oh, well, 
whatever. So sick of that word. Whatever. Whatever. Come on. Jesus doesn't just say whatever. He says love people. He says be spiritually awake. And don't let your love grow cold. Don't let your love grow cold. So many people are indifferent or they're negligent or they involve themselves when it's convenient. So many people are asleep. They forget about the things of God. They're so turned in, tuned in to other things. I don't know about you, but in a way, I'd rather have someone who was hateful toward God than someone who was apathetic toward God. Does that make sense? When I deal with people, I would much rather have someone who is actually hateful toward God to work with, because I know where they're coming from, than most of the people I deal with, whatever, who are apathetic toward God. I don't know what to do, except say what the Lord said. Be awake. Wake up. Come on. So let me ask you a sensitive and personal question. This week, would you um, categorize yourself as awake to the kingdom? Is the kingdom the most powerful thing at work in your life this week? Or are you, like many, like the ones he's talking about here, asleep in the light? Asleep in the light. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, Come back to your senses as you ought. Stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, I say to your shame. I think he's saying, wake up, wake up, wake up. Spiritually awake. Jot this one down. It's similar, but different. One is awake. The second one is alert. The world needs more alerts, right? Be alert. The world needs more alerts. No, be alert. I contrast this one to the passage that says, be sober. Sober mind, because drunk people aren't asleep, but they're intoxicated. They're intoxicated, and they're not alert. They're not in their right mind. Some people are awake and not in their right mind spiritually. They're thinking in perverse, we would say, ways spiritually. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Circle that. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. It's really interesting. We have a, an AA group that meets here uh, Monday through Friday. It's a big group, usually between 30 and 50 people. They call themselves the happy hour. The happy hour. Because they meet from 5.15 to 6.15 every day. And talking to some of the members of that club, of that group, it's like, why 5.15? Why well, almost everybody in Thurston County works 9 to 5. 5.15, the happy hour. 
in bars, in restaurants, has become, and was for them, the most tempting time of the day. They could function through the day, they could get through the day, but as they're struggling with the addiction of alcoholism, 5.15 was a key time. 5.15 to 6.15, on their way home, before dinner, it was the most tempting. People who get drunk, get drunk at night. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Now what they're looking for is sobriety at 5.15. If I can make it between 5.15 and 6.15, the rest of the day may be mine. Maybe, maybe the Lord's. Maybe sober. And, and the Lord's calling out you and I, saying, be spiritually sober. Be spiritually alert. See, some people are drunk on all sorts of things. Some people are drunk on sports. What? What? Fantasy football. I got three teams. Oh, my goodness. You talk to somebody about, what are they excited about? Yeah, they're drunk on all kinds. Some people are drunk on entertainment. You won't believe this, Netflix. They're drunk on conspiracy theories. Oh, my goodness. Whether they're true or not, do you really want to spend that much of your energy absorbed in that kind of stuff? Has it helped anybody anywhere? (laughs) Can you use it? It's spiritually drunk. It's not being sober. Think it through. Heaven and earth will pass away. The earth is going to be burned up. Don't invest your time and your energy in the things of this world. Set your mind on heaven. Set your mind on things above, the Lord says. Not on this earth. That will be drunkenness in spiritual terms. Some people are drunk on their job, making money. Oh, I'm halfway to my retirement goal. Well, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the only thing you ever tell anybody, the only thing people ever hear from you is their retirement fund, it's like, serious? That's intoxication. Spiritual sobriety means not being intoxicated with deeds of darkness and not being intoxicated with this world. It doesn't have to just be darkness. It can be deeds of this world. Don't be inoculated with entertainment. But be focused on your mission. I think that's why the book of Hebrews says so intently, don't ever stop meeting together. But he says, all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. Why does he say that? We need each other. We need to help each other. Just like an AA group needs to help each other stay sober, we need to help each other stay spiritually sober. We need to come together in such ways that we're expanding our spiritual horizons. We're encouraging. We're double teaming people to bring them to Christ. We're praying for each other like crazy. I don't sense that. I don't sense the urgency and sobriety that God's calling for here. Be alert. Wake up and be alert to the kingdom. I know I've taken way too long on this, but let's move forward. What preoccupies your life? What is on your mind? One more, and we'll... Well, before I move on past that script, this is just too good to 
So everything will be destroyed in this way. What kind of people should you be, ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to what? Because we're looking forward to the day of the Lord. <laughs> this here says the day of God. We speed its coming. Remember what I said in 1 Peter? Yeah. You, you can speed the coming of the Lord by the people you lead to Christ. <laughs> Everyone's going to hear the kingdom of God. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. One more here, jot this down. Be awake, be alert. Another A word here, be active. Be active spiritually. They they go together. But he doesn't just want us awake. He doesn't just want us sober. He wants us engaged, involved, pursuing him. And that is the goal. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, a day is coming and now is. He said, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. He's the one who would give us the idea that time shall be no more. And he's the one who says, now, today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to wake up, to be alert, and to be active in the kingdom of God of God. You will receive salvation. That's his goal for us. Put on love. Put on faith. We'll dive into that here in a minute. It says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even talk about or to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is Uh, illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Listen to this, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Because there's an end coming of the days. Make the most of every opportunity. And do this, understanding the present time. Now is the time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is near now than when you first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Do not be asleep in the light. Do not be drunk on the world and do not be inactive in the kingdom. It is closer than you think. Let me just tear this down into a couple of things. It should be, uh, actually, it's the breastplate. Jot this down the breastplate of faith and love. I might have missed that one there. Yeah. Let me go back, Dave, if you can. So jot this down. It may not be on the board up here, but it says the breastplate of faith 
and love. Here's where he wants us to guard our hearts and to guard our souls. I think that's what he's getting at when he talks about a breastplate. Now, there's other places. In fact, I think in your, on the front of your handout this morning is the Ephesian passage about the armor of God, where he lists even more detailed instructions about the armor. But here's the breastplate of faith and love. What does the Bible say about faith? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. The more you involve yourself in God's word, the more you're building a breastplate of, of, of faith. Now, if you think about soldiers, breastplate, they would take that off to go to sleep, but they would put it on to go to battle. And he's saying, put it on. You're not sleeping any longer. Put it on. You're engaged in a war. Put it on the enemy is aiming at you. As a chaplain, one of my favorite things has been to go on ride-alongs with the sheriff's uh, sheriff deputies. They pretty much haven't led us for a year or two here, but for a couple of years before that, they said, we got a new policy. If you're doing ride-alongs, you got to wear armor. You got to put your body armor on. You got to put your breastplate on. Why? Well, because police officers have become targets. And here I am. I'm not a police officer. I'm simply a pastor doing a chaplain's job. I have no weapon. I can't carry a weapon. But I'm in the car. And I'm on the scene. And I'm with the police officer in a sheriff's polo, basically what I wear. A polo with the sheriff's logo on it. But underneath it, I'm glad to have armor. And in a way, what's your armor? You're being shot at every day by the evil one. He says that there are poisonous darts aimed at you. What's your armor? What's he say here? Your armor is faith and love. Faith that comes by hearing the word of God and love that he says Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Remember when uh, Romans says it this way, but we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Jot down if you haven't done this, helmet of hope. Breastplate of faith and love and helmet of hope. Faith and love deals with our hearts and our souls. And the helmet deals with our minds and our thoughts. Because what happens? Things spring from our mind. You are to guard your hearts and you are to guard your minds. That will keep us from discouragement. It will keep us from despair. It will keep us from wrongful thinking, which is the origin of wrongful behavior. Today, we wake up. We get our marching orders from Christ. We put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope. Now, you notice those three things, faith, hope, and love. What's the Bible say? The greatest of these is love. We're to put those on. That's our active role in the kingdom. That's our active role for 
his goal for us. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. See, these words about the second coming, they're not meant to discourage us. Just the opposite. He wants to use all of this thought about the second coming to encourage us, to build us up, to wake us up, to help us be alert in him, and to help us be active in our faith, in our growing. Have you been growing and active in your faith? Let's stand up and pray together. Close things off. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us the way that you do. You astound us that you've given to us not only uh, the gift of your son that came to earth to show us the way, but you gave us the gift of your son in giving his life for ransom for us. Lord, if there's anyone here today who has not yet received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and Master, Lord, I pray they would do it now. They would not wait. Today would be the day of their salvation. That they wouldn't wait for a day when judgment takes place. Instead, they would eagerly wait for the day of Christ's return. Lord, help all of us to be awake. Help all of us to be alert. And help all of us to be active in growing our faith and love and hope. This is our prayer. We trust you for it. We close this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.